10,000 people a year are moving into Oklahoma City. So since 2010, that means about 50,000 or so people who are new to Oklahoma City. And the church population has uh, gradually been decreasing. So as we're increasing population, our church population is decreasing. And so there's a need for more church plants in Oklahoma City. That's part of why we're going there. It's our home. We love the people there. And so please be in prayer for us. Uh, as, as I've been talking with your church, this is my first time. I know you guys have had a bunch of different people come this summer. Uh, they said you guys were walking through First Peter. And so you just finished it. And so today we're going to be talking about Psalm 34, which is a psalm that Peter quotes in his letter. Um, and I've titled my sermon today, as you see in your notes, Faced with Fear. Faced with Fear. In our lives, all of us are faced with fear. Almost every day we're faced with fear. If you think about it, our whole lives, from, from really the beginning to the end, one of the main emotions that we have the most often is, is probably fear. Think about it. A newborn, so an unborn baby in the womb, everything is cozy, right? It sleeps, it's dark all the time, all the food that he wants or she wants, the baby's good. And just think about the process of coming into the world. It is a traumatic experience for that new life. I mean, you're, you're uncomfortable, you're being forced out of your home, right? Being forced into a new world, light for the first time hits you, noises are loud, you see things, and then you just start screaming, right? If you had a kid, you know, like, that's like the first thing that happens. Part of that, I know, is probably physiological. I don't know anything about that. But I think there's just an aspect of, and there's just something new, and it's scary, and so they're going to scream. And then as kids get older, uh, my son, my oldest son's three and a half, and recently we're into the phase of if we shut the door and turn the lights out, it's scary because there's monsters in the room. And so we're at that phase. There's just fear that he's facing. Uh, and I know for... My wife and I, there's fear watching them and two boys going crazy, jumping and running and there's just fear. As they get older, there's going to be more fear. Um, we're planting a church. There's a bunch of fear associated with that. Uh, <clears throat> when I was in college, the Lord called me to ministry and I, I think my, by far my greatest fear at that time in my life was speaking in public. That was my greatest fear. I mean, I, I would skip classes on the days that we were supposed to speak because I knew that that was what I was supposed to do. So I would just skip class that day. I would pretend to have a cough or something, right? <clears throat> so then he calls me to my main job, get up and speak. And they like, all right, thank you, Lord. <laughs> and so uh, we've, we've just moved through life with this kind of... Uh, I don't know if it's acceptance, it's acknowledgement that fear's always there. Fear's just always there. And so Peter, as he wrote in chapter 3, as he quotes Psalm 34, it's in the context of uh, there's going to be people who are evil and don't repay them with evil. There's going to be people who revile you, don't repay them with reviling. So then he quotes Psalm 34. And so I want us to look at why. Why does Peter, in the context of suffering, in the context of facing fear, why does he quote Psalm 34? Well, first, I think you need to know a little bit about um, the background of Psalm 34. If you have your Bibles, let's open there. <clears throat> and we'll just, we're just going to kind of camp out 
in Psalm 34, look at the text, and then take a few uh, key points from it. Right under the title in your Bibles, if you see Psalm 34, it'll say, of David, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech, so that he drove him out and he went away. In 1 Samuel, we get the story of David. He kills Goliath. He becomes kind of like the, the new hit of Israel. He's like the new thing. You know, he's rising to fame. Everybody knows who he is. Saul employs him into his, his cabinet. He becomes kind of like the, the key um, commander. So David goes and fights for Israel. And then the people start singing and, and claiming over David. Saul's killed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. So they're, they're rejoicing over who David is and, and the accomplishments of David. So King Saul begins to get jealous to the point that he wants to kill David. So David has to flee. He runs into the wilderness. And we see here that uh, this story of Abimelech. Abimelech is a title for the king of the Philistines. And so in 1 Samuel, David flees to the city called Gath, which in his life would be a big deal because a guy named Goliath was from Gath. And so David, on the run from Saul, finds himself having to go to Gath, these people that he defeated Goliath, and they bring him, he's captured, they bring him before the king. And so David's like, he's fearful of his life because of his history with these people. So he just starts acting crazy. In 1 Samuel it says he would just let spit like drip down his beard. I mean, he's just a crazy guy. And so the king says, why have you brought him to me? He's crazy. Do I need to deal with another crazy guy? Just get him out of my presence. So David's life was spared. He flees to a cave. And more than likely, in the cave is where he writes Psalm 34. So this is a psalm he writes after the Lord has just saved him out of the hand of the Philistines. But he's still running from Saul. So his life is still in danger. But the Lord has just saved him from the Philistines. He's now running from Saul and he writes this psalm. So the context of Psalm 34 is just being faced with fear. What do we do when we're faced with fear? How do we respond in that? And so let's read it together, and then we'll just, I'll point out a few things. <clears throat> psalm 34, starting in verse 1. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears are toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. 
Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. But the Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. This is the word of the Lord. So I want us to to look at this passage, look at the text, and see the main point of what, what David is getting at. This poem, Psalms are poems, they're songs by David, is an acrostic, which means in the Hebrew alphabet, every verse started with the consecutive letter in the alphabet. So it would be as if verse 1 was the letter A, started with the letter A, verse 2 started with the letter B, and it goes through the whole alphabet. There's one letter that's off, and it's in the very middle. He uses a different letter to start the poem, and it functions kind of as the central piece of this poem. And it's verse 11. It's the center of the poem. He uses a different letter to start it. And it says this. Come, O children, and listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. So the central part of this poem, which, you know, poems aren't like letters in First Peter. You know, you walk through it verse by verse. It's kind of logical argument. Poems are different. So you find the point of it, and then you uh, go out from there. So the point of Psalm 34 is verse 11. I'll read it again. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Which is interesting. So in the face of fear, he says, fear the Lord. So for all of us, we're faced with different things like we talked about earlier. Today, you could name a million things probably that you could be fearful of. Your health, your family's health, your job, something going on in your family, a number of things you can name. Some are very direct fears. You're staring at it in its face. Others are kind of more low-lying, but they're there. The fear of man. For me, when I was scared of getting speaking in public, it was because I cared so much about what everybody thought about me when I stood in front of them. And so for me, that was a fear of man. I was more concerned about what they thought than just being myself. Thankfully, the Lord helped me from that. But there's fears. There's fear of man. There's fear of failure. Some of you are very driven, and the, the, the thought of failing at something pushes you. We're all faced with fear. Some of us are faced with staring death. Some of us are faced with our kids staring at death. David here, that was his case. He was in a, more likely in a cave writing this, running for his life, and he says, fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. So instead of looking at the circumstances you find yourself in, instead of caring what people think, instead of caring about failing, there's something far more important that you should fear. And that's the Lord. We should fear the Lord. What does that mean? That phrase, fear God, fear the Lord, is used over 300 times in the scriptures. This is a big deal. The Proverbs say the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the beginning of knowledge. It brings life. So what does it mean? If you think about fear in a different light, growing up, my dad was very, um, he was a very strong man. He had a certain way he did things, like all men. (laughs) 
We all have our routines. We do things a certain way. And I had a unique fear for my dad. I wasn't scared of him by any means. I was not scared that he would harm me in any ways. But there was something unique about him that commanded a fear of him. He would discipline me. He was strong. There was a sense of, I don't want to get on his bad side. (laughs) Because I may get a spanking. (laughs) I may get grounded. But there was something that was fearful about my dad in a healthy way. He commanded a respect, a reverence. And I think this is really the idea. It's not just so much that we're scared or frightened. In, in the Hebrew, there's, there's like just very few words for fear. They use the same word often. Like fear, the Lord, and then uh, all these fears that we're delivered from. Oftentimes it's the same word. So context is what we have to look at. And so this fearing of the Lord is, is kind of like that of our Father. We look at Him and we have a deep awe and respect and love for who He is, for His character, knowing that He won't harm us, but He's otherly. I think even in 1 Peter we see this. Uh, as you guys walk through this in 1 Peter 3, right after Peter quotes Psalm 34, he says this, Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. And then listen to this. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor, the, honor Christ the Lord as holy. So Peter says the same thing here that David writes in Psalm 34. Don't fear those who are persecuting you. Don't fear your circumstances, but rather Honor Christ the Lord as holy. In other words, fear the Lord. That's what he's telling us to do. So as we see, this is the point of Psalm 34. Having a deep reverence for the God. Having a deep love and respect and awe of who he is. We can look at Psalm 34 and say, okay, now what? Okay, we know instead of fearing our circumstances, we fear the Lord instead. What does this mean for us? How does that actually help us? If you look at your notes, I think the first point is the Lord is near to those who fear Him. The Lord is near to those who fear Him. Let's look at some some different language that David uses here. Look at verse 4. I sought the Lord and He answered me. The fact that the Lord is near enough to hear and answer. Verse 6, this poor man cried and the Lord heard him. Verse 15, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. His ears are toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Do you see the language that's here? Eyes, ears, face. What David's getting across is the Lord is near If you cry to him, he hears it. He sees you. His face is against those who do evil, but his face is delighting in those who are his. So he's using this language of nearness. And then he comes out and says it, verse 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushing spirit. 
So when we're facing fear in its face every day, the first thing we can take hope in is that the Lord is near to us. Something I want to point out real quickly is 16 times in this psalm, the name of God is used, the Lord. 16 times out of 22 verses. He's reminding his readers over and over that the Lord is who's near. The Lord is who you put your trust in. I think this is important because the Lord, the word here, is the personal name of God. In Scripture, there's multiple ways that the authors would use the term God. For us, we just have one term, God. There's God. Here, so in Genesis 1, for example, the term is just is a general word for God. God created the heavens and the earth. Then in Genesis 2, in relation to the creation of man, it says the Lord God created. So he uses this personal name of Yahweh. Yahweh Elohim, the Lord God. <clears throat> this is important because in Exodus chapter 3 is where we learn the personal name of God. We learn Yahweh in Exodus chapter 3. And it's when the Lord meets Moses in a burning bush, right? And so you can imagine Moses, Moses is thinking he's seeing things. This, this bush is burning and there's a voice coming out of it. <clears throat> and the voice says, I'm sending you back to Egypt, to Pharaoh, to set my people free. And Moses, this shepherd on a mountain running away from Egypt, says, who, me? (laughs) You're calling me? No way. I can't do it. And the Lord says, I'm with you. And so Moses responds, okay, you're with me. Who do I say that you are? Who are you? And he says, I am who I am. And the term there is Yahweh. This is my name. My name is Yahweh. This is who you will tell them who I am. And that term, the personal name of God, is used when talking about relation. Talking about relationship. So Moses, there was comfort knowing that God was with him. I am was with him. And in relation to creation of man and woman, I am created man and woman. And so now, there's significance when David uses this personal name of God, wanting us to get the fact that he's near. This is the personal God, Yahweh. That is who's here. And so when you read Psalm 34, I encourage you to read it. I bless Yahweh at all times. Read it as if it's the personal name of the Lord. And so, I think... The first thing we need to recognize is the Lord is near to those who fear him. And there's a temptation for us in the midst of fear to think that we're by ourselves. To think that I'm alone in this. This fear of mine is just, I can't tell people. I'll just deal with it on my own. There's there's this temptation to face it alone. And that's why it's important for us to know the Lord is near. You're not alone. The second thing we see, the Lord blesses those who fear him. He blesses those who fear him. Look at verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Yahweh is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear Yahweh, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions even suffer want and hunger, but those who seek Yahweh 
lack no good thing. So the Lord blesses those who fear him with his goodness. He's good. He's a good God. And part of this blessing includes that he protects those who fear him. And he, he provides for those who fear him. Oftentimes, he says, I sought the Lord, he answered me, and delivered me from my fears. He saved me out of my troubles. He saves the crushing spirit. He delivers him out of his troubles. There's this picture, this idea of the deliverance, the salvation that is a blessing for those who fear him. And then also he uses the terms um, that he's a refuge. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him and the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. This idea that the Lord is encamping around us. There's, we have no weakness on any side because it's Yahweh is, who is surrounding us with protection. <clears throat> Some of you <clears throat> may have seen this movie called The Lone Survivor. I read the book. It's my favorite uh, book outside of the Bible. It's a story of this, these Navy SEALs who go to the Pakistan-Afghanistan border fighting the Taliban. And if you haven't seen it, uh, well, I won't ruin it because the title of the book, I guess, ruins it. The Lone Survivor. <clears throat> so, uh, so the whole story is about this Navy SEAL whose whole team uh, gets killed, and he's the lone survivor. And the way that he survives is there's this uh, village in Pakistan in the mountains where he's, like, getting a drink <clears throat> up in these mountains of water, and this villager comes up on him. He was trying to hide, and a villager comes up on him. And the villager, they can't speak the same language, the villager takes him in. This Navy SEAL was injured. He could barely move. Takes him in while the Taliban's looking for him, uh, nurses his wounds, gives him food, and hides him in his village. <clears throat> and uh, the story goes that the Navy SEAL comes to find out there's this term called Pashtun Wali. And it's an ancient practice of this village that if they come, aco- come upon somebody in great need, it's their duty to watch over them. It's their duty to protect them. It's their duty to provide for them. And so the story goes that <clears throat> this, to, the, to the danger of this man's family, this villager protects the Navy SEAL uh, to the point that the Navy SEAL gets rescued, and now these guys are friends to this day. <clears throat> But he was protected and he was provided for by this villager for no reason other than a, an ancient code of ethic for their village. And I think when we see that Yahweh is good and when those who fear Yahweh are in great circumstances of fear and trouble, of course Yahweh is going to protect us and provide for us. The temptation in this sense is to feel like God doesn't care. When we're facing fear, we can sometimes assume that, well, if God loves me, he would take me out of this situation. I think so often I've felt that way. Why am I going to this, Lord? Why don't you make things easy? Why don't you make things not fearful? Why don't you you bring me out of this trouble? That's not what the Lord promises us. He promises us that he will be there with us, he's near to us, and that he'll bless us. That doesn't always mean that we'll be taken out of the situation. 
And so that temptation to think that God doesn't care is a lie. And we have to remember that he blesses those who fear him. And then the third thing I think we see is the Lord redeems those who fear him. He's near, he blesses, and he redeems those who fear him. If you look at verse 20, it says, um, this short verse, he keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. This is interesting. There's two other places in Scripture where this language is used in the, in the Old Testament. And then John, when he writes about the crucifixion, this is what he says. But when they came, this was after Jesus had died on the cross. He's still on the cross. When they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he's telling the truth, that you also may believe. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. So John brings up this picture of Psalm 34. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. So he uses Psalm 34 when looking at Jesus on the cross. And so for those who would have heard that, they would have recognized the context of Psalm 34. And let's read verses 19 through 22 for the context. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. But the Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. So as Jesus hangs on the cross, John wants his readers to remember this context. That the afflictions of the righteous are many, but the Lord delivers them. That affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. Jesus hanging on the cross. But the Lord redeems the life of his servants. Jesus, the suffering servant. And none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. So Jesus hanging on the cross, and John's reminding his readers that the Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. So even there, there's a precursor that death isn't it. And I think as we face fear, the temptation here is to feel like in the midst of fear, this is all there is. I see my fear and I don't see a way out of it. This is it. There's a point in my life where a lot of things happened all at once. A lot of hard things happened. And I kind of developed this anxiety. I couldn't shake it. I could not shake the anxiety. And it would just hit me out of nowhere. I'd be sitting in my office. And then out of nowhere, I would just feel anxiety. And I remember thinking, this may be, I may deal with this for the rest of my life. And there was fear there. I felt trapped in it. And over months of prayer and months of just walking through this, the Lord healed me and released me from that. But I remember clearly thinking, this may be here for the rest of my life. That was a fear there. There's a temptation to think that God's not going to bring me out of this. And there was the chance that he might not have. But the point is that death wasn't the end. The Lord redeems the life of his servants, and none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. 
So even if I was stuck in that place, I came to realize, hey, there is an end. And there is a future beyond this life. And so as I fear the Lord, as I rest in Him, I remember that He redeems the life of His servants. The word there is He rescues. There's a ransom that was paid on our behalf, and it's Jesus on the cross. He is the ransom that was paid for all of us. So we don't have to worry about our fears. He sets us free. We don't have to worry about our sins. He sets us free. He saves us and delivers us. So as David gives a, is a picture of walking in a life of fear, he runs away from it and the Lord delivers him. Jesus is such a better example. Jesus is persecuted beyond what we could imagine. Everybody hates him. They're mocking him. And he steps into that fear on our behalf. Steps up on the cross on our behalf and dies on our behalf in our place as our substitute so that we don't have to. So there's freedom for us. There's salvation for us. There's redemption. So those are three things I want you to remember. In the face of fear today and as you go throughout this week, the Lord is near to you as you fear Him. The Lord blesses you as you fear Him. And the Lord redeems you as you fear Him. So how do we respond? From this psalm, how do we respond to, to the face of fear? There's two things, real quickly. The first three verses show us our, our first response. I will bless Yahweh at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in Yahweh. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify Yahweh with me and let us exalt his name together. Our first response is worship. As we fear the Lord, as we remember his redemption, as we know his nearness, we worship him. We exalt his name. We praise him. We live lives that honor Christ as holy. And then the second thing is... <clears throat> We obey Him. A life of fear of the Lord um, fleshes itself out in obedience. Listen to these verses. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil, your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and His ears toward their cry. That is what Peter quotes in, from Psalm 34. That obedience, that life of righteousness, of turning away from evil, of doing good and seeking peace. And the way that we have a righteous life is by resting in what Christ has done for us. Believing in the gospel, believing in Jesus, that his sacrifice was done on our behalf, and we rest in that. And we let his sacrifice and his love pour through us, fill us with his spirit, and we follow him. We pursue Jesus. We follow him. We fear him. So like the infant, like all of us, we're faced with fear all through life. But we see in scripture, we see in Psalm 34, that the fear of the Lord is what matters most. So as you leave here, and you're faced with fears throughout your day. Remember, 
Fear the Lord. And He'll be near to you, He'll bless you, and He'll redeem you. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that we can come here together with our family, with our brothers and sisters in Christ and worship you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your love. We thank you for Jesus. And Lord, as we read today in Psalm 34, I pray for all of us in this room that you would give each one of us a fear of you. And as we look at the circumstances in our lives, and they can seem very fearful, may we look to you all the more and see that you are good, you're in control, you love us, and help us to honor you as holy in our lives, to revere you. And so that when we look at our circumstances, they seem less of a threat because we know that you're in control. And we know that you redeem our lives and that we have a future even beyond death in your presence. I pray that that reality sits with us this week, sits with us in our lives, that you are near, that you bless us, and that you've redeemed us. And help us to respond in worship and respond in obedience. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you for your love. And it's in your name we pray.